Hi everyone, welcome to the Quest Podcast. Today my guest is Sarah Poet, and we'll be talking about reclaiming the feminine and the masculine in each of us. Hope you enjoy it. Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, it's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Todd Fisher, and welcome to Season 3 of Quest. A quest is a search for something. And this podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. To me, curiosity is part of what makes us human. And there's still so much we don't know. There's joy in discovery. It's what drives us. It's our quest. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Quest Podcast. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you as a guest. Um, I watched your TEDx talk and I loved it. I was fascinated by it. So I was like, I've got to have her on to talk about this. Oh, great. I'm so glad. I'm glad it made sense. (laughs) (laughs) Feel feel free to ask me anything. Truly, it's like open book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into talking about the TEDx in just a second, but right now let's kind of like go back a little bit. Let's tell the listeners a little about your background and your education. Sure. Uh, My background and my education. Well, um, I I have a lot of personal background. I'll answer anything you want, but um, (laughs) some of it's like, I'm writing a memoir right now. So it's like, Ooh, that's a big question. (laughs) The background. So, um, you know, I, I grew up, I know that you talk about spirituality a lot. And so I grew up in a really small Methodist church that my father made me go to um, in Southern Pennsylvania. And I rebelled against this. Like I sat there sort of curiously um, listening for what the directions were, you know, and then intuiting them in my system. But I also was um, very much overpowered, you know, like I had a really strong inner guidance system, but I didn't know how to honor that. Um, And my, my father especially was such a presence and a force. And of course I wanted his love. And so I, I tried to um, be a good girl, you know, but I ended up actually getting pregnant at 18 and that's not what good girls do. And so um, that really shaped my life, which I mentioned in the TEDx because um, after my child was born, she was placed for adoption. Now I I chose her adoptive family. And so she was placed into a family that I chose for her. Um, And then the recipe for success given to me by the adults that I was looking to for guidance at the time was um, you have to go make something of yourself. And so I really tried 
uh, to live by that societal recipe of like what that meant. And my mother worked in education, interestingly. And so I grew up kind of like playing school and playing therapist and really just loving, you know, like playing school with my little sisters and like the stuffed animals and like really wanting to take care of everyone. Um, but when I entered into education, the field of education myself, um, I always worked in these alternative settings, like holistic, alternative, you know, places where the kids were like kicked out of public school and it was like their their last step and we were trying to do really alternative forms of education with them. And um, so I, I navigated that field of education for 15 years, doing some really cool, innovative things, um, working with teenage boys a lot, you know, um, kind of always having this inner uh, curiosity about uh, like, how do we raise boys? How do we raise girls? Um, and then I, I became a mother again um, in 2009 to my son. He's almost a teenager himself now. Yeah. And um, so parenting this young male uh, became really, really important to me. And then, you know, very long story short, um, I had an awakening right around that 2012 point and my son was a toddler and I, it was like, I remembered that there was a version of me that I had turned off. And I loved that one. Like I loved that girl that was a rebel that ended up getting pregnant because she felt good in her body and loved the man that I was with at the time. And, and I actually remembered loving him um, in a way that I hadn't allowed myself to remember um, even ever since um, and, or ever, you know, up until that point, it had been like 10 or more years, you know, since my daughter had been born and adopted. And so I remembered feeling something deeper and there was an inner call and I, this is called quest. And so <laughs> yeah. I went on that quest really to remember myself. And that's why a lot of my work and my podcast is called sacred remembering because as I walked that journey, it was just so immense. And I had to do a lot of trauma healing, which I'm actually happy to talk about because it ended up like really being linked to my father in the church. Um, and so on that path, here I was by this time, I was a school principal. Um, and I was really, you know, wanted to be very nurturing, like, like I had been when I was a kiddo playing school. And um, I had worked in special education a lot. And then I was bringing this like deep therapeutic intervention style education into a public charter school. And there was one girl in particular that I, I really like had this affinity toward, and I really knew that she needed something different. Um, and she really should have been like given a lot more resources. And I was just really advocating for her. And this is the one that I'm mentioning in my TEDx too. And and I said, you know, she really needs something different. And I knew exactly what she needed. And they, you know, in this administration meeting, it was like, we can't give those things to her. And you take intuitive leaps. And that was like the criticism, like you right. take intuitive leaps. And 
at that point in time, this next leg of my awakening happened because it was like, here I was this powerhouse, this principal had two master's degrees in education by that point. And, it, and I was like, but there's this thing called the feminine and it lives in me. And here I am, like, I was exhausted. I probably had an anxiety disorder. Um, I had trauma showing up in uh, like really maladaptive ways. And I was like just fighting my body, um, like trying to be a powerhouse. And so, you know, that was even a couple years beyond that moment of like, I left something of myself back there, but then it had infiltrated into my professional life too. And then I went on this giant quest uh, for feminine and masculine reintegration. Um, and that's a whole, <laughs> that's another journey um, in and of itself. And so that's, that's been like the last, you know, um, eight or so years of my life has really been this quest around feminine and masculine and how it applies to archetypes. But then it also very, very much became my spiritual path as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks for, you know, creating the space and time for that summary. That was a little bit long. But... No, it's great. You know, I wasn't sure how much of your kind of your biography I wanted to get into because I knew some of that stuff was like traumatic events in your life for sure. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll spin this a little bit more kind of what you're doing now with your business. But I love that you shared all that because it's certainly going to come in uh, into play in the rest of this interview, I think, as people start to understand you more and what your uh, what your cause and your mission is. Um, yeah. And that's really why I say I, I am an open book and I've done a lot of trauma healing. I mean, thousands of hours of, of personal integration work. Right. And so um, the, the remembering, like the activation of, of who I truly am and, and what I'm here to do on the planet, you know, of course I'm still remembering that, but um, I definitely make it a point to model the storytelling because I think I did I have lived this archetypal story that so many women can relate to of like shutting parts of self down having to remember parts of self um but yeah nothing's off limits because it's all uh, like a part of the journey so it's I was not it's not very raw like some parts are you know I'll but I'll even talk about the raw parts. So no big yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was surprised that your topic made it to TEDx because you know how they are about anything that becomes kind of too new agey or spiritually. They just, it's like, no, not on our stage. So I was like, you're well, right at that cusp, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they almost didn't publish it, which yeah. I have on, you know, I have that on my website and um, the, the topic, I can't remember in this moment what the topic was, but it was like challenging assumptions or something like that, you know? And so- mm. Um, I think I, I can't say for sure because I didn't know the local, um, team that made the decisions, but I think that maybe one of them had heard of my work locally. And that was sort of how I got in because, um, you know, be, through the rehearsals and everything, I, I couldn't really tell if they were interested or not. And so I was, kind of surprised, but also it very much had to do with my spiritual path and my soul journey. And um, I'll just bring some of that in here. I was, I've always been working on owning my voice, right? Like with the relationship with my father and the church, um, like being who I am was the quest. 
And so um, I was going through a really, really hard year in 2019 after the breakdown of like a very, very significant relationship with a man. And I was going through a dark night of the soul and I wanted to quit. I wanted to like quit this mission that I had. I had left my career, you know, between 2017 and 2018 left my career as an educator to step onto this path that felt very divinely ordained. Like it, it was like, Sarah, you are now going to do this. And it's going to be called embodied breath. You know, like the, the voice inside was like, or the voice from above was like, here's the name of your business. Here's what you'll be doing. And so I had a little bit of information, but that voice is really clear sometimes in me. And so I knew it wasn't an option um, to, to do that. But then through that path, it, there were so many initiations. It, you know, it was really hard. And um, so 2019 was really a rough, like winter into spring. And I was in a dark night of the soul. And a friend of mine reached out and said, TEDx applications are open. I want to hear you tell your story on stage. And when she sent me that message, I actually had this ping, this intuition that I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to do this. <laughs> like I knew that it was actually, you know, spirit or creator or universe, whatever you call it saying like, Sarah, get your ass back up. Um, yeah. And so that summer I had a little speaking gig um, in Pennsylvania and I, and I went and I did that. And I knew that as soon as I did that, I could feel something shift because I was like in my native lands in my homeland in Pennsylvania. And I told an authentic story, like with my feet on the soil, which was really important. And I knew as I walked away, I was like, now I'm going to have to do the TEDx. Like that's the next step. And the email came through for the acceptance that night, you know? So it was yeah. very much like God being like, get on the stage. Right. And the choice to say sacred like sacred feminine, sacred masculine at that time in my life and in my career was so huge, <laughs> right. you know, but I was like, I have, I have to. And then, um, there are other TEDx talks on feminine and masculine, but they almost blocked mine. So, right. yeah, I get rejected constantly from TEDx. <laughs> so I think I'm going to start my own called Todd X. I think there it'll be go. great. I'm just going to make my yep. own, make my own yeah. deal. Yeah. I mean, we don't really need it. Like that red dot is recognizable, <laughs> but it's, right. it's also very censored. Yeah. 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 Um, so your TEDx was consciously reclaiming the feminine and masculine within each of us. Yeah. So for those listeners that aren't familiar with this, like what is the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine? Right. So, and of course, everyone's invited to watch the talk um, where I just try to lay this out really simply, but I'll do so here now as well. We associate feminine and masculine with gender and with societal like definitions or, or, you know, just like prescriptions of, of gender. Like we kind of have some, oh, I think feminine means I have to sit pretty and masculine means I have to be tough. You know, that kind of like association is normally the first thing that comes up for people. And so right. I, I'm talking about archetypal energy. 
And truly feminine and masculine energy is all that comprises creation. Like every single thing is comprised of feminine and masculine energy. It's, it's literally the architecture that holds the universe together as far as I'm concerned. And so, um, you know, down to like, like energetic specifics, like the, the architecture of, um, you know, creation itself. And so, you know, feminine, but let's back up to like how this presents in humans. So each of us has feminine and masculine inside of us. And to, to acknowledge this is actually really, really liberating and really empowering, which is why I'm encouraging everyone to do it <laughs> who, who wants to. Um, because we don't have to outsource these things and, and we get to be whoever we are and whoever we want to be. So feminine archetypal energy is nurturing. It's intuitive. It is more fluid. You know, it's associated with the water element. Um, it is associated with emotions and emotions are empowering. Emotions are just energy in expression and, you know, taking form. And then the masculine is, um, I like to really talk about masculine first and foremost in terms of structure and consciousness. So the masculine, um, you know, is the, the ideas we associate it with logic, um, you know, like if there are all of these opportunities, it's the masculine that's going to like pick a direction and take the action. And so the, the masculine is actually action oriented. Um, right. But we need to, you know, be in touch with that feminine, which was overridden um, throughout patriarchal history um, for many reasons, but like the intuition was downplayed, the emotions were downplayed. Um, but then we lost, you know, the, the value, the inherent value of, uh, things like nurturing and caregiving, um, and, and even how we valued women, um, in a patriarchal society was actually, it went hand in hand with how it was the feminine archetype itself that was, um, like degraded or said was, was not important. And one of the things that I share in the TEDx is that was what actually gave us a really unhealthy expression of masculine in patriarchal culture is like this complete suppression of the feminine because if you don't have one in a healthy expression you don't have the other in a healthy expression and so you know this whole thing on the planet right now about like toxic masculinity and there's a lot of like man shame that's happening and people are associating masculinity with power over dynamics, um, or just, you know, this, this toxic masculine, and that's actually a huge mistake. Um, because, uh, and that's part of just the, the distortion that we're all like supposed to believe is that 
you know, one group has power, the other group doesn't. And so as we begin to actually heal our relationship with feminine and masculine, we actually realize that that what we're talking about is reunification, um, like in a spiritual sense. And so if I'm, if I'm walking this path of reclaiming feminine and masculine, then ultimately there's going to be a lot of healing in my heart, right? Which is why I can talk about the things that happened in the past, because like on this path, there's the um, opportunity to say, oh yeah, well, that's what was going on with my idea of what men should have been or what I should have been as a woman. And then when I, you know, relearn the archetypes and kind of bring it home to my heart, it's, it's actually really, really healing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast was because I feel like, you know, in a way you've been doing this for a while. So this term doesn't maybe not exist for you, but exists for me, but I consider you like a new thought leader when it comes Mm. to something like this, because Mm -hmm. it's all too often I see females presenting, um, you know, programs on the sacred feminine, but there's never Mm -hmm. a masculine component of it. You know, I see a lot of (laughs) things like that, but, um, but it's odd in this kind of the spiritual new age world. And I think a lot of people are reaching out to that, particularly during COVID people just wanted answers. They wanted to connect to something They, you know, no one really knew what the purpose was anymore. And I feel like a lot of these individuals have kind of sprung up everywhere. And it's particularly on social media. There's a new Mm. guru every week on social media. It seems like, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) And it's odd because most of the males, which are rare, you know, nine out of 10 people doing this out there in the interwebs and creating these new movements or whatever programs they might offer nine out of 10 are females. Mm. Um, and you can almost like shake a stick at how many, you know, the next pretty blonde girl that's doing breath work and yoga and, you know, Mm. like, you know what Mm. I mean? Like, it's always Mm. kind of the same thing rehash and most of their group is females. And then there's some males out there that are popular, but they never approach anything from a feminine perspective yet still seem to have a lot of female followers too. Mm. Um, in males, it's always hard to reach anyways in this kind of thing. (laughs) Males try to stay away from spirituality. You don't, you don't see them gravitating toward that for whatever reason. I'm not really sure. Um, So I really like your approach of kind of embodying both of these within each of us, because this is something that is important to both males and females. And I feel your reach could be larger than anyone's in that regard. Mm. Does that make sense? Everything I was rambling on about there? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it springs, you know, 20 different thoughts to mind. And so I'm just kind of breathing with that for a moment. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, but it's an interesting world out there in this perspective. Um, and I think people are more confused at their place in the world more than ever on personal level, oh, yeah. on a worldwide yeah. level, like, and, and that's why you have to look deep within you and you have to discover these things. You have to reclaim these things in you and you shouldn't be afraid of these things. A feminine, uh, like, oh, I'm not afraid to reach into, you know, what I feel my feminine aspects are. And, um, yeah, right. and I, and I like that. I want to uh, move over to something else that I, it's kind of orbiting this in mm-hmm. a way, I believe, but one of the things that you do, um, in your company is kind of this, uh, gender equity and leadership portion of your business. Mm-hmm. And this is something you do is kind of a new solution for human resources. 
And I want to kind of move into that a little bit because I want to kind of steer into the Me Too movement and the women's liberation movement and some of those things that kind of orbit this, I believe, Mm -hmm. and discuss that and talk about, you know, the women and the men's part in this, (laughs) you know, in a way. Um, So I wanted to just kind of talk about this first. So you offer this service as kind of like a new solution for human resources. And I want to talk about what is a typical office scenario that might need this service? Oh, I love this. And this is actually my newest offering. Um, And so I love that we're talking about this first because I'm going to lead into this by addressing something that you just said. Um, So as I was kind of developing this, I was talking to everybody. I was talking to women. I was talking to men. I was talking to couples. It was like, okay, who wants to reunify here? You know, we, we have all of these wounds of separation between us. Everyone's really on eggshells after me too. And so, you know, I was talking to everybody and for a long time, I really focused on writing to men on social media. I wrote for the Good Men Project. I was lifting up masculinity and it's very unique as a woman to be doing that. But that was a part of really what I had to go through too with my father, with this like huge breakup, you know, with a divorce in there. It, but thank God I have a son. Thank God I had loved these male students, right? Because I think I would have been a really angry woman. Like I was an angry woman. Okay. And, and then it's like, but Sarah, okay. You can't go on being this angry and raising a kid. Like, what are you going to be mad at men when you're raising a man? Like you can't do this. And so it was my path to I don't lead with forgiveness, actually. I I don't lead with that because I think that's last. I think that that's really natural when you do your own integration work and your own trauma healing. Like you're working on you and then the rest happens, right? So all that to say, I didn't, I had to work at this. You know, I didn't start out just like, okay, everybody's unified. Like I really was a woman with a lot of man trauma, a lot of masculine related trauma. Um, And so when I was on the internet talking, you know, to everyone, the men loved it, loved what I was saying, but they were the last ones to sign up to coach with me. They were the last ones. And, um, so it was like, maybe I was ego stroking, you know, whatever, like to them, maybe it just like felt really good that a woman could see it. There was actually a lot of projection too. Like, you know, men were like, oh my God, I want to date you, you know? And I was like, no, uh, you know, I just, I love men, but I'm not your dream partner. I promise. Um, you know, so like there was a lot of, um, mistaken, like, Ooh, she gets it. I want to, be with her instead of like, Ooh, she gets it. She can help me grow. (laughs) And, and so that was a lot of learning for me as well. But this to say from a business perspective, you know, as a, as a single mama, it was like, I had to pick a lane and, um, I started working with women. I started my podcast and, and so I primarily worked with women and couples. Okay. And so this gender equity piece, quite honestly, um, arose out of a really terrible situation that happened when my own career ended. Because I 
I worked in a place where I was experiencing, I was seeing misogyny and I was experiencing it, but the leadership was actually really well-intended and like wanted to be inclusive, um, but just didn't get it quite honestly. And so when I resigned and I brought a few things up, there was a very fast movement to offer me a severance and get me out the door. And it was very traumatizing. I think quite honestly, it was very traumatizing for everyone because um, I had started this school with very close friends, like a, a friend of 10 years. Um, and, and then it was like, get her out of here, just get her out the door. And so here I was this woman who had really worked for a very long time to own my voice, to heal my trauma, to be a good person, you know, all of these things. And I'd been studying feminine and masculine for a while at that point. And um, I was like, hey, you know, I just, I want to address some things that I see. And that after me too, um, it was just seen as such a threat. There was actually zero communication, um, you know, no work to like heal relationships. Um, and it was like no transition necessary, um, just go. And so um, I had already started my company and, and so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna put everything into this. And Looking back, I mean, that's, that really stayed with me because those relationships never, like we've still never had a conversation, right? And yeah. the um, level of trauma probably for the students that like I really knew and loved and um, because it was a residential program and um, I was the only woman actually in the, in the school. I had a staff of all male teachers and uh, and so, yeah, like I was, I was the nourishment. I was kind of mama hen as well as like principal and helper and all, all of those things. I, I played a role. And so I wanted to approach it differently, but the standard HR practice, you know, it felt like, okay, this woman with her observations is now a liability. Get her out. Yeah. And, um, I had to honestly like sign a, a you know, a gag order uh, as they say. And so I'm, I'm speaking around some specifics, but that's my experience of what happened anyway. And so I've, I, I really did some research when I was developing these offerings for HR and um, what I heard I, I talked to HR reps and I said, what do you see? What do you need? And there was a lot of, um, you know, women waking up, especially, you know, after me too, what's happening, what I would say is happening is women are realizing one, we've been oppressed Two, um, we have our own stories of, of silence and being silenced and being, um, treated poorly. And then three, what's happening is that that activates a lot of trauma. And we have our own trauma that we're carrying as female 
creatures. Um, and then we also have like epigenetic trauma that we're carrying from, you know, thousands of years of, of patriarchy and feminine suppression. Right. And so um, that really sparks a lot in the psyche about like what's fair, what's not fair. And I recently spoke to um, a, a business owner that I know personally and what they were experiencing were they, they were hiring more women because it was important to him and he was a, a male business owner. And what was happening was that, well, quite honestly, in my assessment, there was a lot of trauma that the women were bringing to work. And again, it's really natural. I mean, we are waking up as a planet. And so we have these like open wounds. Like I remember one day, for example, this, this is what this could look like. Yeah. Um, for example, one day I was going to work as this like school principal and we had um, a, a child with like suicidal ideation. And um, I did not know how to keep him safe. And this triggered this like massive fear and inadequacy. And I'd already lost a child, right? And so maybe it was connected to that or, or who knows what, but I didn't realize that for like, I was walking around so wound up at work and, and somebody said like, well, you're responsible to make sure that he's in eyesight at all times. And, and I just knew that like my teachers couldn't do that. They couldn't teach and make sure that this child with suicidal ideation was like absolutely safe. And it felt so far beyond my control. And I actually had a total breakdown at work or like driving to work, you know, wow. because it triggered something in my deep psyche about like, I can't keep this child safe. I'm not safe. We're not safe. Right. And, and I could not do my job that morning. Like I, I just, I went into the boss's office and just like cried and I was like, I can't do this. And so that was a mix of the trauma that I was already carrying in my body. Right. Right. And it was like showing up at work. So, you know, we're all doing this. It's definitely not just unique to women because I've also interviewed men who, um, you know, they were having a conversation and then before they knew it, like HR was knocking on their, you know, cubicle saying, um, you have to take a leave of absence because you've offended so-and-so. Yeah. And, and it's just all this like really non-relational, right? Like all of this, um, I think there's often a lot of fear that there's going to be like litigation or this person is going to cost the company something exactly by having this concern where those concerns can actually really empower an organization to learn to listen to people. And of course, yes, drawing boundaries about what is going to happen at work and what's not going to happen at work, right? Like we can't be solving everyone's trauma at work. Um, but like, how can we have workplaces that are able to hear a concern without going to this person is a liability, get them out the door. Yeah. And 
So that's where I come in, where I can have, I can hold a mediation. I can do training for the whole staff or, or just for the leadership team in, um, you know, varied um, dynamics of leadership, like what is feminine leadership? What is masculine leadership? How to be more inclusive um, with everyone and how to deal with some of those deep psyche things that come up, especially after Me Too and especially with men where like they've been holding these positions of yes, hierarchical power, right? Positional power. And now it's like, what am I supposed to do to make everybody happy? How do I have to behave? Um, and so I'm actually like really good at being called in to be the, um, like executive leadership coach for male executives who need some coaching, like need to be able to ask these questions. Like, what does she want? Can somebody interpret for me? You know, like what this woman is going through, what she needs, what she wants. And, and so it's not just this like, um, old school way of like just cutting it off and that causes more trauma. Right. Um, and you're absolutely right that, you know, we have a litigious society as well as people being highly sensitive now, which is like a lethal combination of how you deal with it, you know? Right. And HR, like human, you know, relations, it's interesting because it's not, um, really equipped, I think in most cases to have these new and innovative and necessary conversations. And so, um, yeah, I'm available for like HR teams or HR reps who are called in when there is this kind of, uh, you know, problem or arising (laughs) and, and I look at things very, very differently. And so it's very possible that I can help to solve, um, the relational component, maybe doing some coaching with, you know, party A, party B, um, and then like things can heal. And I think, you know, employee retention can happen. Um, you know, human relationships just like the, the company gets stronger. Um, whereas that cut and run approach, I think really hurts companies. And I know turnover costs a whole lot. Um, so, so that's, that's what that's about. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this is, a uh, something that's kind of evolved, uh, because of the Me Too movement in a way, but let's, before yeah. the Me Too movement, a lot of people, especially young people today, probably don't really remember this or recall this, or maybe even didn't learn about this in school, but there was the women's liberation movement mm. that was huge in the seventies. And um, it actually started in the late 60s. It ended in the early 80s. It was at its strongest in the 70s. And it really was a, more of a political movement uh, than anything. And it was all about kind of institutional sexism. Hmm. And, um, and it, it was successful in that way. And, and it did touch on some things like um, um, sexual harassment, although there was no term sexual harassment, then they did address those types of workplace issues. Um, And they did get a lot of things changed in terms of, uh, you know, women getting better jobs and uh, being in in more important positions. And it was the beginning of a much larger movement. 
And today we have the Me Too movement, which is really uh, more of a social movement against sexual abuse and sexual harassment. Um, but I'm curious, with movements like this, do they lose momentum? Do you think, do you consider the Me Too movement as successful? Is it still ongoing? Um, mm. Do you feel it will lose momentum or is this here to stay? What do you think will happen with this? Oh, wow. Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, so I, I want to say, like, I don't identify with a movement, right? I, I think I want to clarify that. Um, what I see happening on the planet is a consciousness evolution. Ah, interesting, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, in a very broad sense, I see this consciousness evolution being um, one that's we're moving from separation consciousness that we've been the earth has been operating in for like 10,000 years and then we're moving toward unity consciousness and so that's a that's a really big umbrella right but over the consciousness evolution which you know involves the spiritual awakenings um, this is where feminine and masculine are bound <laughs> to reunify, you know, and so right. I can talk about it in a really non-spiritual way in an HR building, right? Or I can, you know, step into these like sacred feminine circles or the, um, you know, conscious, sacred consciousness, uh, couples relating work that I do privately with couples. And, and so, and, and like really talk about the spiritual aspects of it. So um, I am dynamic in, in that way. So I appreciate the question because, you know, it also ties to like the decision to say sacred on the TEDx stage. It's like the, the decision to have a podcast called Sacred Remembering. It's like we can do all of these things together. We don't have to separate um, work from our awakenings, work from our wellness. You know, this, this integration is really such an opportunity on the planet at this yeah. time. And so to to get back to your question about like the women's movement and then the Me Too, I think that these are, I would describe them as necessary for the consciousness evolution. I would also describe them as somewhat inevitable in um, the collective consciousness, like as their collective consciousness awakenings and then planetary awakenings because these energies also exist in the planet and around the planet. And that gets really, really interesting. Um, and so the, the feminine and masculine reunification is actually happening in the planet as well. And so we're going to see, I think these things are effects of the natural move toward unity and more people choosing unity and choosing love um, and helping to like anchor these things on the planet, but the women's movements will continue to evolve. And, um, I actually have on my website, this, um, modern women's pathway, like a, a typical 10 
phases of, of modern women's awakening um, and what's going on with feminine and masculine inside of her um, and, and in her relationships as she's going through these phases of awakening. And so as my path illustrates the modern woman who's awakening now, who is aligned to a love frequency, to a unity frequency, because that's what our hearts want. We don't want to experience more separation. We don't want to experience um, more oppression, more fighting, more trauma. We don't, we don't want that. What we crave is love and connection as humans. And so there is a very, you know, there's been an exciting sacred feminine uh, awakening movement happening on the planet. And what's happening now, Todd, is women are remembering, um, I, I don't want to fight the masculine anymore. Yeah. And I want to, you know, embody the love. And if it's okay, I'll just, I'll share a, a concrete example from a client that I had this morning, actually. Sure, yeah. Cool. That kind of brings it home a little bit. Um, so this beautiful woman um, recently left uh, the Mormon church, like very, um, in my opinion, a, a patriarchal situation, right? Where men are expected to be one way, women are expected to be another way, and women are definitely expected um, to follow directions. And so right. here's this woman being very radical in her church, in her hometown. And she says, the feminine doesn't have a place here and I'm not okay with that. And I'm leaving the church and the whole town's in an uproar, literally the whole town's in an uproar. And the, you know, she's got the pastor like banging down her door. And this was a couple months ago. And, and now what's happening is the, she's attracted some attention and the women are like, I want a little bit of what you've got. Okay. And so they're coming to her and then the men, the husbands <laughs> and the, the church um, employees, they are very nervous. They are very nervous about her. And like, what is this woman who's regaining her voice and regaining her sense of self? What in the world could she possibly do? Right. And so similarly to that boss that I was referring to. It's like, oh my gosh, if the women are speaking up, what's going to happen? Okay. And so what I heard her say this morning, she was, yes, she wanted to hold space for the women, but no part of her message was anti-man. And what she said was, I want the men to know that they're safe too. And I want them to know that they're loved and that they're appreciated. And I want them to know that we see that they've always done the best that they, that they knew for the women in their lives. And I just thought that that was so, so beautiful yeah. and such a gorgeous example of this, you know, deeply feminine heart that like the women's movements of the seventies and eighties had to fight and i i am not interested in fighting anymore i don't have energy to fight right but yeah. i have i have energy to like fight for love but that looks different than like 
fighting against oppression. And so the more we're integrating and know who we are, the less defensive energy we actually need to have. Sure. Um, and so I see many women actually leading um, in that way. And many women in my circles, right? Um, leading and saying, I don't want more separation from men. You know, it's like the very independent woman who's like, I don't need a man. Where are all the good men at? Who's the man showing up for me? And then like, they're actually like, okay, wait, I'm a little lonely. I've been pushing away all the men, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so I think that, that women are kind of like, uh, oh yeah, no, um, all that fighting doesn't actually bring, bring love. Um, a so, couple, I have a couple quick, like, you know, business type questions for you. Do you, sure. should should there be uh, equal pay among women, uh, like men and women for the same job automatically, or should it be based on something else like experience or education? Should there be equal pay? I should questions make me nervous. Okay. Equal pay for the exact same position, exact same education level, exact same experience. No, for the same job, but, or should it be based on something like experience, experience or education? <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't, think that there should necessarily be equal pay for the position no okay. i was just curious uh, yeah with yeah. with programs like affirmative action do you believe that that was a successful program should it be implemented on a larger scale i think some people worry that like forced methods of putting a minority a particular race a particular gender in a job because we don't have someone working in that way that some people feel that type of forced method breeds resentment. Do you feel those are necessary mm. policies or mm. is it just for whatever company and whoever applies? Yeah, honestly, Todd, I don't feel that it's my place to speak on that. Yeah. Honestly. Sure. No, I was just um, curious yeah. how you felt I don't about that. Yeah, I don't have I don't have like a real strong opinion about mm. that. Yeah. And the reason why I bring it up is because that was one of the the big uh portions of the women's liberation movement was making sure that women could take supervisor positions of things, you know? Yeah. And, right. uh, and that's how kind of affirmative action came about in that, you know, and we've seen this through, you know, the post office and all kinds of other yeah. companies have implemented that where, you know, if there's not someone black working, there's not a woman that's working, you know, they have to hire someone to put in those positions. And I'm just curious if that breeds a resentment among other employees and that makes the rift worse because mm. we seem to be more of a divided country more than ever now. Everyone yeah. is categorized and labeled in some way. Um, yeah, I can imagine that it would, you know, breed resentment for some and then for others, it would, it would be good. You know, I, I, um, it, it feels nuanced uh, for sure. And I do agree with you that, you know, the, the division uh, or, you know, like perceived division is of concern for, yeah. for sure. Uh -huh. It's odd. I think a lot of people don't really think about this. I write about this in, in my book, but, you know, we're categorized from essentially our birth <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. before uh -huh. we even realize that we're being put in categories. We are because, you know, we've grown up of whatever race you are, whatever gender you are, all out of your control, right out of the womb, right? And mm -hmm. and then, you know, maybe you're in a certain um, 
you know, a, like you're in a certain income level, your parents grew up middle class, you, you know, you grew up poor or whatever it might be, what kind of community you're in, the kind of car you drive, the, your political stance, if you were put into a religion where you baptized Catholic, and that's how you were brought up, like so much of the stuff is already kind of programming you as you yeah. grow up and you even mm-hmm. realizes that you're now being placed in categories, everything mm-hmm. becomes categories, which just expands even further the older you get. <laughs> You know, mm. it seems like, and, and even your age, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm in my fifties, so I'm now, you know, getting in a certain category, like I've become useless for certain things in a way, you know, mm. and mm. it's a very odd, just how this system works. So uh, I, I feel like we just have such a, div- hmm. everyone wants hmm. to be so unique, but that uniqueness has created a tremendous amount of division, if that makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for for bringing this up and and I kind of go maybe in a in an unexpected direction with this so I agree with you that there are a lot of outer categories and a lot of outer boxes and I would say judgments right a lot of ways that we learn to play the game And I think what is happening on the planet right now in terms of a consciousness evolution is that we are all invited to be who we are. Yeah. And the, I think the children are showing us, you know, with all of this non-binary stuff, I have a seventh grader that tells me a lot. And so, um, you know, it's like they, the children are showing us that the old categories, they're not going to buy into it anymore. And um, it's really beautiful because I mean, in the, the work that I do with women around standing in the truth of who we are and the sacred remembering, and um, you know, and I work with men too around finding our voice, but that age like demographic is usually like the 35 to 55 that I'm working with, you know, the, the generation of like, I followed the rules and now I'm remembering to be my authentic self. And (laughs) what's really cool now, the children are showing us in this consciousness evolution that like, they're just coming in. I think they're getting less lost because they are using who they are as their North star, like more than ever. And I've been, you know, working with children, um, watching uh, what the children are doing for a long time. And, and this is what I'm teaching and talking about as well. Like, how can I be who I am and just live in the truth of who I am? And then Todd, you get to live in the truth of who you are. And then you get to tell me about your experience. Right. Yeah. And I get to tell you about my experience and, and we get to learn to listen to each other and we get to learn to relate and listening and relating are very, very different than, you know, somebody's going to assign you a box and somebody's going to assign me a box. And then we have to figure out how to relate while we're in boxes. And I think that's what, that's what, you know, manifests that contention that you're referring to is like, where are we getting our information about who we are? Are we getting our information about who we are from like, you know, the boxes that are being created on the news right now? Are we getting the information about who we are, you know, by, by knowing how to sit with ourselves and saying, 
actually, this is my authentic truth inside of myself right now. And then can I have that? And the next person have their truth. And we were kind to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I like where you're going with all that. You know, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, the who we are thing, right? I think sometimes you think you know who you are based on how you grew up, which may not have been the best influence. And I feel as, as children get older, you know, you tend to rebel against your parents. You don't want to do what they did. (laughs) You know, like that's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because if you go back to like uh, the hippie movement in the sixties, you know, the lifestyle that those people had, their kids wanted no part of it. So there was a whole generation of people that became doctors and attorneys, completely the opposite of what their parents were. And I feel like you see this in every generation, right? So I, I think what happens is, some of these things are really kind of a generational problem and could go away on their Mm. own because people grew up seeing their parents function with another race or another gender in a certain way. And that's how they were brought up. And they thought that's how it was done. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, like part of me too is calling attention to men's bad behavior. Um, You know, that's a, a fraction of what me too is, but it definitely is calling attention to stuff. I definitely thought in my mind about things that, wow, that, might have been something very questionable I might have done in the 90s you know like I went back and rethought about things that like wow I didn't didn't realize that maybe I was being disrespectful or that this could be taken a different way um so I certainly learned more about myself when that stuff was put out there and that's why I wonder if some of these problems might rectify themselves because now your kids are going to see what their parents did wrong incorrect Mm. if that Mm. makes sense maybe Mm-hmm. Yeah, to speak to that, uh, you know, like the recognizing something in yourself. Yeah, thank you for doing that. And what's really cool is when we're talking about feminine and masculine archetypes, and, and we like really break this down within ourselves, we are all functioning with a dysfunctional masculine. Yeah. and a dysfunctional feminine because it was patriarchy because it was like given to us that way and so like every single man has made mistakes and every single man does and i watch my child perpetuate you know acts of misogyny um because it's in his dna because it's in the culture right yeah. and so it's like but we don't have to shame each other for it we we just have to learn um and and so yeah that that was one thing that came up and for as a woman I have had dysfunctional masculinity inside of me and and I think that that's really just important you know because even someone who is um non-binary can still use the language and the tools of feminine and masculine archetypes to talk about like I am a spectrum of these things and there are expressions of the archetype like sometimes I cry and sometimes I really get a lot done and oh we can use the words feminine and masculine to to talk about that and so um one story that comes to mind uh I was able to learn from a really cool group of um kiddos that had uh they were they were they had diagnoses on the autism spectrum disorder but um, they were really high functioning and um you know they looked at to your point about the previous generations 
they looked at like, well, what was my mom doing? What was my dad doing? Okay. Mom's a woman, dad's a man. And so that like became black and white for them. Like mom, woman, that's women, dad, man, that's men. Right. And so their associations, um, were really clearly based on like the affiliation of what they had seen, like in their experience, which is true for all of us. Right. But, and then they were like, I don't like what dad did. And so maybe I don't want to be a man. Mm. And, you know, so there was a lot of like gender questioning and um, maybe I want a sex change and I don't know who I am. And a lot of, I mean, teenagers are just trying to find their identity, right? Like that's their job. That's their job. And so I think what, well, what I was able to do, I was actually teaching at that time. And I taught this integrative unit where we read a book about a a trans kiddo and we looked at statistics and social studies. And we just looked at like, you know, data around gender and how people identify and like all the different identifications. And then we looked at history. um, And then we looked at the archetypes And that information was really eye-opening for these kiddos. They were like, oh, you mean that I can still be like a man with a penis and identify mostly in a feminine essence? And I was like, yes, (laughs) yep. You know, but like when I was sort of mapped out in like a conceptual framework, it was like, oh, that gives me something to um, explore. Right. And my son was just sharing with me that um, he had gotten some emails from a classmate who is, you know, questioning gender and just exploring different identities and they were sending some educational material out to their classmates like you know they're looking for the the framework they're looking for like where do I fit and and I think these kiddos are creating new frameworks obviously obviously that's true with all of the um non-binary stuff going on and so um yeah they're leading us in a in a whole new expression of this consciousness evolution do you think that uh, men are scared to interact with women out of fear of something being misconstrued now or maybe with like relationships can't you can't flirt with someone or court them like you could before because it could be unwanted right I think that probably happens often. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that some women are offended by courtesy. Just holding a door open for someone can be taken wrong or come off as an insult. I once tried to pump gas for a woman whose car I was riding in and she took it as a terrible insult. Like I can pump my gas myself. And I'm like, Hey, I was just being nice. And I was just like, wow, like so many things I, cause I grew up doing that anyways. Yeah, that was part right. of what my parents be polite, you know, be polite. I hold the door open for a man or a woman on it to be a fair, you know, someone's behind me, I hold the door open for him. But, um, mm. but mm-hmm. you know, like I can pump the gas. It's not a big deal. It's, I think, feel like there's some blowback to this. And I, I often wonder if apps such as like Tinder are so popular because they remove anything that's questionable and simply it's there for arrangements, you know, mm. like with mm. Tinder, it's, you know, a hookup app. So yeah, you cut out all the other stuff yeah. and it's like, okay, where I would have maybe had to go to a bar or 
work on this and maybe it's unwanted, you know, and I won't, there's no question on an app like that, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. I, um, I don't really swim in those waters, the, like the <laughs> Tinder and things like that, because it's, it, in my opinion, um, you know, I, I dive in like deeper uh, waters. It feels a little shallow, you yeah. know, like a hookup app kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, when, when you were saying like a woman being uh, offended that you would offer to pump gas or hold a door I think to when uh, that might have been true for me and you know I can just speak to that I can't speak to like all women or all men but um, for me there's there's a little bit of a fear right like I don't know what else you're going to expect ah, um, right and so like women have been um, you know like taken advantage of a lot and so there's a there's a lot of self-protection in women um and you know around hearts in general but women's bodies have been taken advantage of women's time has been taken advantage of and so um we become defensive and and armored um, yeah. I, I have black tattoos all over my body. Thank goodness. There are at least flowers, but, but I realized at one point, like, oh, I've, I've been armoring up, you know, like I, I looked, <laughs> I look like a badass. Um, <laughs> and so it, that armoring is very, very normal. And to come through that armoring, um, a woman has to do a lot of, of deep self-work um and and that's hers to do and then also like one of the things that I teach couples is how to do that together like how does he hold space for that how does he get to have his own truth about like you know maybe he was molested maybe he wasn't allowed to um use his voice you know men's stuff is more like uh, perpetual people pleasing um like being the nice guy and and not like having a backbone um and and that can go archetypally kind of that direction or it can go toward the oppressor right like i, I didn't ever get my way and so i'm gonna just dominate the hell out of this situation um so all of these behaviors are like learned and um adaptive though maladaptive ultimately but um you know we we take them on uh because we had to at one point to protect who we are there's an interesting dynamic to you you mentioned your your tattoos and yeah you look tough right and then you've got this <laughs> this beautiful feminine voice and it's so that's this interesting dynamic you've got this great duality in a way yeah and, uh, and I think it's it's brilliant everything that you've built about yourself <laughs> if you've noticed on my podcast the majority of my guests are females I love I what females bring to the world and I just I love yeah. to because I don't I don't get along as well as well with with male guests for whatever reason and I mm. I noticed that a lot of people I bring on um in the scientific world are usually against God for one, which is sort of mm -hmm. anti what I, I'm building here, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, and when I bring in men that are in some form of religion or spirituality, there is that male hierarchy or there's a certain level of narcissism to them. And I don't feel like mm -hmm. they make compelling good interviews. And I feel like they're they're perpetuating a, the same type of thing that's been going on. I think women are holding the <laughs> answers right now. 
So I uh, love it. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. but I want to say just from my perspective, my feeling on women, I know I hear a lot of this, uh, you know, a, a, to me, a lot of, um, let me figure out how I want to phrase this exactly. So I don't go saying is it wrong. Um, I won't hold it against you if it comes out kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like so, let's model a space where like we can we can say something yeah, and maybe yeah. be a little off. Try yeah. to articulate just the exact words I want to say. But my feeling on women is I feel women are like a muse for men. Mm. Like they are like they're like you know, the in the Greek god world where Zeus mm. created the muses and the muses would go out and create they would encourage people to create poetry and music and writing and things like this mm. i want to create women inspire me to create mm -hmm. i think they're brilliant in that regard and men have fought wars for women mm. and males relationships to their mothers are incredibly important i feel there's a, a a very deep love for women i feel that just some of the things that have happened kind of in the work life or treatment or people that are uneducated have kind of soured everything I think women have always been important to men um, mm. for a very long time. And I think if you think of all the, the great songs or the great paintings, they're for women. You know, it was yeah. men doing this for women. I mean, all the great songs are a woman's name, you know, and it's like, I think that there's a, just a, this brilliance that women bring to the world um, that is, has been uh, more beaten down in the last hundred years. And it could be mm. for a variety of reasons. And it's not for me to go and try to look historically when exactly this happened. But mm. my feeling is I write my best stuff when I'm writing it for a muse. And it's interesting because I don't think you're lusting after the muse. You're not necessarily in love with the muse, but the muse is representative of the world, right? You can't go tell a great artist or a great writer or a great singer and say, okay, I want you to write a song that the world's going to love. That's too much pressure, right? But if you present them yeah. with a muse, they write for the muse, right? Because you can write for one person and the muse is the world, if that makes mm. sense to mm. you. Mm. And I have a lot of friends that are, you know, famous artists, famous writers, and they've had visions. Like I have a great artist friend of mine, a, a fantasy artist, does, um, you know, like medieval type paintings, things like that. He says that this mysterious woman in black would always deliver him his finished painting. It was his muse. Wow. Yeah. And it would come in a dream or a fantasy or a daydream. And she would mm -hmm. always deliver what the painting would look like. And he would wind up painting it. But he, he actually put out an art book, a collection of all his art. And he writes about the woman in black mm. <laughs> that, that comes to him and, and her, uh, her, her hooded cloak. And she's beautiful. And she presents this painting. And he thinks it's amusing. A lot of people in the art world, photography, what have you, have had the same types of experiences. So I believe women give birth to all kinds of things and uh, and I put yeah. them on the highest level and I love to have them as guests so anyways my oh, thank my you. commentary there at the end <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful and um yeah that really yeah I really deeply um am grateful for you sharing that and um for lifting that yeah the muse is such a sacred archetype and um you've pointed to something that I I kind of want to round back to this uh, notion of, of God, of like, what is this thing? And, um, and maybe muse on that for, for a moment, but, you know, kind of circling back to where we started with the uh, deep contemplation that existed inside of me 
as a young girl in the church and then as a young girl who was like very embodied and empowered and uh, was, you know, a poet. And by the way, I named myself poet in uh, 2018. It, it wasn't my husband's name. It wasn't my father's name. It's my name. Um, and so there was this young girl who was questioning like, what is the space of the feminine in this thing called church and this thing called God? And my life has really been a quest to reawaken that feminine in that place of the sacred, in that space of God. And so, you know, on my quest um, to resurrect the feminine Christ next to the masculine Christ, you know, like I say mother, father, God. And on my path, you know, the, the relationship with the masculine that had to heal, it had to heal in me. I had to heal the relationship with, with men outside of myself. Um, Sometimes that means literal healing of relationships. Sometimes that just means forgiveness because the water's under the bridge and, and, you know, that's all that can happen. And then I also have to heal my relationship with the masculine aspect of creation. Because really, I, I think that's where some of the, the greatest severance, the, the original severance comes from in this myth of separation, that really the church perpetuates the myth of separation by saying, God's a male and women aren't welcome yeah. to be themselves, you know, that's yeah. a separation message. And so the quest to um, say like, yes, not only do I have a place here with the sacred, but sometimes my muse is the sacred masculine. Sometimes, you know, what, what enlivens me, what turns me on as like a human woman is this idea of a unified God um, and working with the masculine energetics in my own spiritual practice and my own embodiment practice, like working with that question, like you're talking about a man holding this, this female muse, like in this, um, you know, it could be a spiritual aspect. It could be an actual woman. It could be a, like an actress or something like, like someone who inspires a woman who inspires. Well, it's really exciting to, um, to be a woman and to almost sometimes have like, um, a, a divine masculine, like love, right? Like sometimes yeah. that's what it feels like, um, in my explorations and in my practice. And, and that's, it's actually really, really rich for a woman to just begin to ask herself like, well, what does a healthy masculine feel like? And then how do I show up, you know, with, with a healthy masculine? And that's so helpful. And, um, you know, it repairs, so much in her because like I don't have a relationship with my human father there's there's too much there there's too much um we can't we haven't been able to do that yet and um but I can have a relationship with like the holy father right, right. and so that that has healed you know I can love my father um without having a relationship with him and and like I said earlier the kind of byproduct of that is forgiveness ultimately um, doesn't mean that I have to 
well, it especially with him, um, you know, back in those days of being his child in the church, he would make grave mistakes and then say, God has forgiven me. Now you do too. Mm. And so um, my father never learned <laughs> to really apologize and, um, and some things uh, have, have been too great. And so I do ultimately forgive him and I love, um, I love him and understand the traumas that shaped him. And yet um, the love that is in my heart is like bigger than just him. It is bigger than, um, you know, any, any notion of one man or one, you know, God, it's like, it's, it's God itself. Um, so thanks for listening to that mm -hmm. little <laughs> riff. <laughs> I love it. As we, uh, yeah. as we start to wrap up here, I want to talk about your company. So your company Embodied Breath, you offer a ton of stuff. I'm just going to touch on yeah. a couple things yeah. right now. You have one-on-one -on -one mentorships, you have soul alignment sessions, you have women's groups, couples coaching. So what can people yeah. expect from working with you? And are these programs any particular length or open certain times of the year tell me a little bit about that stuff yeah wonderful thank you so much so i am uh, i'm a very responsive person so if someone's feeling uh, a, a yes to wanting to reach out i'll talk to anybody for 15 minutes you can just schedule a call and we'll meet one another and i love to do that um and so there's a free consultation on the website at sarahpoet.com for real like if you're feeling oh my gosh i want to talk to this lady like just do it like that's i, I love that um because i love to know who's out there listening um and then i do have um private mentorship for women um but for anyone like I said, I needed to pick a lane in some aspects of the business. Um, most of my clients right now are women and women leaders who are, you know, these thought leaders who are creating um, new solutions, right? And I work with a lot of women like that. Um, in the new year, actually, those one-on-one -on -one 75 minute sessions, like those one time sessions are actually going away um, because my schedule is full. And yeah. so I can't, I can't do those one hour sessions anymore where we just uh, talk about present moment, because what I really want to do is deep dive transformation. And, and so that's where that HR consulting work comes in, um, executive coaching, private mentorship. And then, um, I do have groups listed on my website and I offer those throughout the year, these women's groups that work um, in very specific areas. And so right now um, it, it's going to probably have launched by the time this podcast comes out, but structure and flow is like a planner system. It's a 90 day planner system in feminine and masculine inner energy for women. It's amazing. Um, I've used it for two years. It's so effective. And then, um, my next group, um, offering coming out in January, February is, is called fall in love with the King, but it is, um, for women healing all aspects of their relationship to the masculine and, and working toward that love in the heart uh, of the masculine. Um, and then there will be others throughout the year. And yes, I do. If I have a space, I entertain, like if someone sees my, you know, group business mentorship, um, option, and they want to do that in a private mentorship, if I have if I have availability, I'll, I'll do that. Or they can go on a waiting list for that. And uh, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is this stuff in person or zoom? Oh, so I've been online since 2018. 
Okay. I was just like, curious. Yeah, some people do some in-person still. Um, no. So one of the ways that this really works for me, because I'm, I'm a mom and a single mom. And so, um, I am often like, I, I don't keep office hours in another office. Like I'm at home and I'm parenting and I'm <laughs> like yeah. running the child to school and then doing three sessions and then picking the child up. And so, um, I, have not since COVID. Um, I don't think I've done any in person. If sometimes I live in a pretty awesome place. I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, it's pretty progressive and cool. And so um, sometimes when I'm working with someone locally, especially couples, um, when I'm working with them locally, we'll do some in-person sessions because I can I can teach some things in person. But yeah. everything I do is totally effective online. Um, because I can read energy, I'm reading facial expressions, I'm reading, you know, um, yeah, I can read energy with my eyes closed. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't worry about the effectiveness. It's very effective. And you have a podcast. Where can people get that at? Yeah. So everything's at sarahpoet.com. Um, and, and so the podcast is on the website as well. Um, but it's also streamed to Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And that's the Sacred Remembering podcast. And the first um, two seasons were a lot of stories of like modern women waking up and reclaiming themselves. And then season three and four are a lot of um, my teachings and then a lot of conversations about feminine and masculine, feminine and masculine dynamics, relational, um, you know, d different stories. Um, so some just me and, and some interview. Thank you. Where can people find you out there in the interwebs? You have a website. Are you on social media? Yeah, sarahpoet.com, S-A-R-A-H-P-O-E-T. And um, that's the first place to find me and check out the offers and schedule that 15-minute call. Um, and then I'm having the most fun on LinkedIn these days. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I still do post on Facebook and a lot of clients do come from Facebook, but um, I don't do the Facebook group thing anymore. Like I, I actually have a membership as well for, for modern women waking up to the truth of who they are. Um, and so that's, I like, I want to really work with people who are really changing their lives. Um, and so I, in the new year, especially like I'm, I'm inviting in the people who want to make really effective change, really on the truth of who they are, and then bring their gifts forward to really affect uh, change on the planet and, and more connection and more unity on the planet. Um, and so, yeah, I'm like inviting people in. So like come to sarahpoca.com and look at the membership and, and just like, see if you want to dive in a little yeah. bit and um, let's, let's change this world. Well, Sarah, <laughs> I appreciate you, uh, yeah. you coming on the podcast and I love your perspective. I think you're brilliant. Mm. And, oh, uh, thank you so much. I love what we got into today. I do appreciate it. I hope you come back. Thank you, Todd. I'd love to. Yes. Thank you so much for holding the space. And um, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks for coming out. We'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. have it. My interview with Sarah Poet. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next time on Quest.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content.